Today's guest and I go way back. We've definitely come a long way from sneaking in and out of clubs in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania to making great memories on those very same streets. She is now based in Australia and is a certified social worker with great insight on self-worth, self-healing, and the power of self-love. I couldn't tell you how important this episode was for me to learn a little bit more about her and to dive deeper into self-understanding for you and for anyone else who hears it. I believe that this will touch you differently. This is Deep Dive with Faith Kangaroo. share this platform today with the ever so lovely, one of my favorite people in the world, joining us from all the way down under, Miss Faith Kangaro. Hi, Faith. Hi, V. Welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Now, I would just like to bring people closer to who you are and what it is exactly that you do before we get into this very powerful and empowering topic today. Sure. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? In my personal life, I am a mother of two beautiful children. I also um, have a non-for-profit that I'm working on on the side um, that helps women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And professionally, I'm a social worker in the child and family industry for children who are in foster care. That's actually incredible. Can I say that you are the first of your kind that I've ever had on this podcast? And just in general, the first of your kind that I know. (laughs) So it's nice to have you on board. Thank you for taking your time. And thank you for bringing your light to this podcast today. Now, in that light, please, could you break down exactly what it is to be a social worker. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around this term or just the lack thereof understanding at all. Please do educate us. Yeah, sure. So social work is a very broad, I suppose, um, role to be in. So I can only speak into the role that I do right now and how I came here or how I landed into this role So I've been a case manager for about a year and a half. And what that involves is doing the day-to-day aspects of children who have come into care. So they've been removed from their parents' care and they're considered to be statutory children. So parental responsibility is to the minister. And what I do is do a case plan And that's basically a document that outlines their goals for the year and it it covers the different domains. So their culture, their education, um, their personal identity, like religion or, um, you know, their social and living skills, their emotional and behavioral functioning as well. Um, And that's a really thorough document. And we usually have the foster carers or anyone involved in the child's life contribute to that document. So if they have any medical professionals such as speech therapists or occupational therapists, they're involved in that. And how I came about this role was, I think, 
somehow I've always had a heart of serving people and a heart towards young people, especially young people who have gone through a lot of, I guess, trauma and hardship. And that's because I resonate and I can identify with these people because I've experienced my own childhood trauma in, in, in various ways. Um, and I think in very, very hidden ways where, as you said, in our culture, it's not very obvious until you become an adult and your relationships are not functioning the way you see other people's relationships function. And that's simply because we were not given a secure base or like a safety ground to kind of work from. So I started off as a youth worker when I was doing my degree in social justice. And that was just as a casual worker. And that was acting as a mentor in, in the same way, like children who've been in statutory care, I'll just take them to the movies, help them with their shopping, help them with their budgeting, um, kind of help them figure out their identity. So simple, like on the ground, day-to-day -day things that a mother would do. Um, and from there, I kind of, you know, graduated and stuck to that industry because I fell in love with it. And I started working in a crisis unit, which is the only crisis unit in New South Wales, which is the state that I live in, in Australia. And that was same thing, but in a much more intense capacity. So these children will come in either from juvie, so juvenile justice, or they're straight from their removal from their parents or whether they were living with their grandparents and there's been police involvement and they're at risk of being homeless and they have nowhere to go. So they'll be placed in this um, unit and we'll do the day-to-day -day therapeutic work, um, teaching them living skills, kind of helping them to self-regulate. And the best way you self-regulate a child who's been traumatized is through co-regulation. So teaching them and mirror, like showing them through actions on what it looks like to stay composed, um, what it looks like to calm yourself down. And that obviously took a lot of training. So being a social worker is a role that's very versatile in nature. You're always on your feet. You're always walking on eggshells. Um, and your mental health and self-care is vital for you to thrive. So a lot of people get into it thinking it's a walk in the park. It really isn't. You really need to be resilient. Um, you really need to know yourself because if you don't know yourself, you can't really guide and mentor these children. Um, and I think you also need to resonate with the children. You also need to have experienced some form of trauma yourself. Oh my goodness. What if <laughs> I must admit to you, honestly, I was very ignorant about what it was exactly that you did. And I'm sure a lot of people can uh, speak to that as well, because we hear social workers and we just, uh, you know, we just bunch them all up in one box. And I, there's there, what you in that very very clear description you've broken down basically the fundamental essentials that it takes for a young human being to develop into at least a functional human adult. Um, you touched on trauma and your own trauma as a child and growing up. Do you think you can expand on that and what that is identified as in an African home? Usually for people who are from backgrounds such as myself and yourself, so culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, 
emotions are a thing that you don't discuss it's off the table um and because of that it's not just not discussed it's also not seen so you never really see your parents cry or you know state and name their feelings like i'm sad today i'm frustrated today there's only to in my experience like a linear um emotion which is usually anger when you've done something wrong and they want to chastise you um and or correct you um so because of that i think from my experience and for my peers that i grew up with um we go by life kind of silencing those untouched places or wounded places in our lives and we never really deal with them until we become adults and we become children who are traumatized with longer limbs so we're in essence not really adults because if you if de- with development you have to develop fully it's not just a biological you're growing taller you know you're hitting puberty um or you know you're graduating high school primary school etc like there's also the emotional and social de- development of children so because of that we kind of grow up not whole yeah so did that answer your question that did very well thank you so much for enlightening us with that I found it really special that you touched on the cultural and linguistical diversity of our space and our home that is something that is absolutely not spoken about actually not even a part of the conversation at all people grow up with um you used an interesting term you said long limbs i think you said yeah so traumatized child uh, traumatized adults are usually a traumatized child with longer limbs so their their mind their development is still very much childlike but they just have longer limbs yeah you speak of this and you come from a person who has discovered this for yourself what what is the case of people in general who have no idea whatsoever of what it means to be a child with longer limbs and trauma you know what would you speak on for that case you know and is this even a discussion in our society and what can we do to uh, to to shed a light on this very important topic which is actually vital in the fundamental foundation of our communities and our societies specifically to the culturally and linguistically diverse um people it's definitely something that is not discussed enough and it definitely should be and how i think this should be done is in two ways so um with social work there's two models that i would highly advise everyone to use in their personal self reflection time which is very important self reflection and self care i think should be scheduled just like how you schedule your other things in your life in your calendar um so one thing that we get our clients to do that i think is very much applicable to everyone is when you're thinking about your attachment style or your resilience or your trauma and you're trying to unpack it or even if you you don't think you have it i think it's a good activity or i should say reflective activity um to do is to think about your triggers so everyone has triggers whether you believe that you're traumatized or not so everyone gets angry 
everyone um, gets frustrated. Everyone has outbursts. And then after you're like, what was that? That came from nowhere. And you can't really kind of track down where that came from. So we do this thing called, it's like an activity where you kind of figure out your attachment, your resilience and your trauma. And day to day, you need to think about the last time you got angry and kind of exploded. And then you need to think about what triggered you. And then you need to think about what belief or value did this represent to you? And be very honest with yourself because you'll realize every time you have an outburst, and especially in your relationships, there's usually an underlying deeper rooted issue. And it could simply be that that's just how you saw people deal with life. And if that's the case, that's fine. But why did they deal with life like that? What was that like external outside things happening? Was it financial stress? Um, was it emotional stress? Was it psychological stress? Was it, I guess, medical as well is a big one that I think in our culture is completely overlooked. But if your medical needs are not being met, that can actually traumatize you. If your financial needs are not being met, that can traumatize you. So trauma is a word, I think, just like how social work is thrown around and people don't really know what that means. It's the same with trauma. We all have some form of trauma. So it's not just children who are in care. I think everyone walking around has some form of trauma from their childhood. Um, and then you need, so from that, you can actually build strength. So if you're traumatized, it's not the end of the world. You can bring, uh, build strengths from that. So one thing that you can get, well, you can sit down during your reflection time is different questions you can ask yourself. So there's the scaling question. So is, if this is where I'm at right now, so if this is how bad I explode and this is the reason why, what can I do? How bad is it? So is it a one to 10? And if it's a three, what can I do to get it to an eight? And then once you get to an eight, and it's about being realistic. So once you get to an eight, what can I do to get to a 10? And, and, everyone, and everyone's scale will look different. And you need to own that. And I don't really think you ever arrive at 10. Um, because as you go by life, you will get new triggers. So that's why this is something you need to constantly do. Your attachment style as well is very important, which I think in our culture is something that is not seen, not heard, not talked about. And it's actually a taboo to talk about it. So physical affection as well. Um, our culture, we don't have that whole touch and, you know, mushy, fluffy, I love you all the time, like we see with our like counterparts. Um, so one thing I did when I went um, through counseling was this beautiful uh, program called the circle of security and the circle of security is you imagine a, um, a circle and there's two hands in the circle and those hands are basically your parents and the top of the circle is the secure um, it's the it's where what's what's the term it's so it's basically where your child learns independence and through that is you let your child go out and explore and while they're exploring, they will still need you to comfort them, encourage them, and, you know, just kind of allow them to be safe, but without interfering and all of that. And our culture tends to stick to that circle where there's no picking up your child and, you know, cuddling with your child, playing with your child, or 
organizing your child's feelings for them. And then the bottom of the circle is where your child will come to you and seek comfort and seek you to organize your feelings. And that's the dependent part. And so the circle is complete when we have both independence and dependence. But our culture really emphasizes on the independent part, which is great, but it's incomplete without the dependency. And that's why we can't be emotionally regulated. We can't be um, positive or like our, our attachment is very dysregulated or it's very, it's either we're too clingy or we're very, very like separated from the people that we should actually be very attached to. So there's no healthy attachment. It's interesting you say that because I found that in my past relationships as well, be it uh, friendships or relationships with, you know, partners, I did exactly that. I was either, actually, I didn't do the too clingy at all. I was just not clingy at all. And I think that came from seeing a lot of it from uh, my mother. My mother is a loving human being, but she does she 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 struggles with expression and she struggles with the embracing of emotions or the showing of emotions i know that i remember this vividly um the day my father died i walked up this is the first time i'm seeing her after the news and i and i and i'm i'm there trying to be strong for her she's lost her life partner and i'm trying to hug her and she literally gives me a pat on the back and it wasn't that she wasn't mourning or trying to be there for me. I had this conversation with her years later and we laugh about it now. But um, it's not that she wasn't trying to be there to embrace me or to be, you know, motherly. But she, like many other people, culturally cannot break through that barrier. It's it's just it's just not known to them. And honestly, I can't blame them. I can't blame her. It's not something that's been identified at all. So I thought that just that that was just something that we needed to touch on. And the fact that physical, verbal, even emotional um, expressions of love or gratitude or kindness or, or any type of positive emotion is lacking in our community. And I think this is a conversation that we can definitely expand on. You have given me so much information there. Personally, I, 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 I've been looking at you like, whoa. And I, when I say looking at her, we're, we're having this conversation in our new normal space right now over our very beloved Zoom. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful what you, what you believe in. And the education of it, I think, is a very vital part of what will therefore, you know, change a lot of the narrative in our community and yours as well in Australia or back at home or through these podcasts, what, what have you. You have an incredible platform called The Spirit of Esther. Now, The Spirit of Esther is what, Faith? So Spirit of Esther is a non-for-profit with a vision of empowering and equipping culturally and linguistically diverse women and youth. Um, break the pattern of abuse and neglect in their community. Right. What exactly is it that you do in your community currently right now? So right now um, we 
to be honest. We're working on a project. Um, it actually hasn't piloted yet, but at the moment, I would say we're just imparting knowledge, <laughs> um, like educative knowledge. It's a very important tool, Faith. I think that this is the most important tool because in this time that you've sat with us, you've really opened my mind and many other people's minds on what really is the root cause of a lot of issues that are driving our communities, issues in relationships, issues in like underlying issues with conversation and just interaction between humans. And how can we live if we don't know how to behave around each other? Yeah, so absolutely. So information is definitely power. So right now, that's a lot of the work we're doing. Um, however, in the future, I do intend on expanding that into projects um, catered to different members in our community. So obviously, abuse and neglect does not discriminate gender. And although Spirit of Esther is a platform for women and youth, I think, you know, we can't completely eliminate men. So there will be some father and son programs on there, um, some women programs and some just catered to youth only. And in your, in your opinion, for someone who's listening in right now, what does abuse and neglect look like? We speak on it, you know, um, and it's, it's a popular word, neglect and abuse. But what does it look like? Yeah. So I think if we're to compare the two, what differentiates them is the intention. So if someone abuses you, it usually means there was an intention for them to do that. But with neglect, it's usually unintentional. So it's usually the person neglecting you genuinely doesn't know or has something stopping them from actually giving you the full care that you need or that you actually deserve. Because it's usually your basic needs. When you're being neglected, it's usually your basic needs, such as your emotions, such as um, you know your financials. And if you look at like a mother-child relationship, a mother who's neglecting their child means if the child is sick, they're not taking them to the doctors to get medication. Um, they're not buying clothes that fit for them, you know, to be able to have clothing, which is a basic need. Um, and that's a financial thing. So it's the mother doesn't have the finances. She means well, but at the end of the day, that child is being neglected. Whereas with abuse, it's, usually something that is done intentionally. And it's also usually more um, obvious, but neglect is usually very hidden. And neglect is usually something that's not really talked about. So usually people classify neglect and abuse as one, but they're actually two separate things. Gotcha, and you've broken them down perfectly. Now, you've spoken on neglect and abuse when it comes to um, children and young persons, but what does it look like for adults? Yeah, for adults, um, I think, again, going back to the whole, you know, trauma is, in, in an adult, is a child who was traumatized with longer limbs. So I think with neglect, it's usually because you were neglected as a child yourself and no one showed you what it looks like to have your full um, needs, your all your needs being met, basically. Um, so as an adult, you do not have self-love, you do not have self-care, 
um, you, you're not really driven to, you know, go to work and make your own money. You're actually okay with just settling for government support. Um, you never pay your rent on time. So you're not taught living skills that will help you meet your needs, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, self-love is such a broad statement. And I think people think that self-love is just, you know, I think there's a, a huge ignorance on what that term actually means. And so I'm happy that you kind of touched on it in different, in different um, a- avenues, like not paying your rent in time. Like, you know what I mean? Come on, get serious with life. Or, you know, it's small things or not taking care of your body or not take, you know, personal hygiene. So I think there's a, it's a very extensive little big thing. What would you say in your own personal experience have been moments where you have felt neglected? So I think for me growing up, I, I, I think financials were not really an issue. So that was always something that kind of spoke out more than and kind of overshadowed the inner things that were going on in my heart and in my mind. So finances. So if you think about the different domains, culture, medical, um, social, emotional, behavioral, financial, um, financial was taken care of. Um, medical was taken care of because there was the financials to do that. My culture was, you know, we have a very colorful and vibrant culture. That's very like, this is how things are done. However, things and living skills, like obviously in our culture from a young age, you're taught how to cook, you're taught how to clean the house, you're taught how, you know, you must shower. Like that's something that's kind of a no brainer. Um, and it's an, ex- it's actually an expectation of you um, from a very young age, which is problematic in itself, but that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but things like emotional and behavioral functioning again, and, um, and your social kind of relationships was not something that I was taught. Um, it wasn't something that was discussed in any way. So that affected me um, with my own self-care. And I obviously, you shower, you look good, you smell good, you're going to school, you're getting the grades. You don't really realize that there's this really important aspect of your life. So eventually as I grew older, I realized somehow I was always in dysfunctional relationships. Mm. And honestly, if, if I am not whole, I cannot expect to be in a whole relationship. So that void of my emotional and behavioral functioning, I was learning in someone else. Um, and that is just a recipe for disaster. So I was jumping from one broken relationship to another because I was broken myself. I didn't know my identity. And I, I was never taught. Like, I, I, I never really knew who faith was. I never really knew my place on this earth. And because of that, I kind of settled for whatever. Um, so long as I had that fuzzy, warm feeling in my tummy, it, like we were good to go. So I, I settled for less than what I deserved and I got less than what I deserved from that. I'm obviously aware of your personal relationships and how you've 
obviously I've been around through the relationships and I've seen them as a sister girl, I've seen you go through them and I know that it hasn't been the easiest journey or the easiest route for you. How would you speak to someone who doesn't or has not identified their dysfunction in their relationship? So I think I can only kind of say what I learned and hopefully that will resonate with someone who hasn't. Um, but again, as I said, like if you don't know yourself, so if you don't know what triggers you and that's positive and negative triggers, then you probably shouldn't be in a relationship because in a relationship you're stretched, you have to make room for someone else's triggers. So if you're not clear on yours, you will go for anything and then your triggers will kind of be elaborated. Um, another thing that I would say is if, like, why are you entering a relationship to begin with? Like that, that's something I never really used to ask myself. Like, do you want a relationship because it will serve you in this very moment? Is this something you want to be in long-term? Uh, are you seeking a specific thing? Um, that, like ask yourself those questions. Why do you want to be in a relationship? And what kind of relationship do you want to be in? I think a lot of us stumble into relationships because it's what everyone else is doing. But why? Why are we in a relationship to begin with? Um, and I think another thing is if you look at your, your relationship with your family or your friends, how do those look like? Because chances are those relationships will tell you how your relationship with your partner will look like. So if you're, um, if you're good with your family when things are good, but then if conflict arises, you disappear and you're not able to sit there and sit through it and unpack it, that's going to be the same in your romantic relationships. That's something I definitely learned. So start with what the relationships you already have before you enter a romantic relationship with someone else because they tell you a lot. And so you're speaking from a place of past tense. You said, this is something I learned in my relationship. What is your relationship status right now? What, is it, what are you going through as a, as a mother of two? What's going on in your personal life? Yeah, so right now I am separated and I've been separated for eight months. So I was married. So when I say separation, it's from that. Yeah. Yeah. My status. And how does that make you feel? Um, it's interesting you asked me that. If you had asked me this last year, November, I would probably tell you I feel like I'm on hell on earth. But right now, I am grateful for that broken marriage because it taught me so many things about myself and so many things about my future um, relationship that like these are my no non-negotiables and you know how I was telling you you jump from one dysfunctional relationship to another I never really gave myself that time before I got married to kind of unpack the, the, the dysfunction that I was kind of always stumbling into but now because I had a really rough marriage that ended in a very catastrophic if I can use that word way, I know my non-negotiables. Yes, it was horrible. Um, yes, 
I could sit here and victimize myself and say I didn't deserve that. But what did I learn and what am I not going to take to the next one is really great because you could be in a very horrible and hurtful relationship and maybe in that relationship you contribute 20% to those horrible and hurtful things and the other person contributes 80%. But if you don't face the music with that 20 you might move on to the next relationship and then that 20 in the next relationship is the 80% and the other person is the 20. So that's one thing that has really spoken. Like I have, even though it was 20%, I am not focused on the other 80 because that's not me. I have, that person has to take responsibility of that, whether they do or not, I have no control over that. But what I have control of is my healing journey and my healing journey involves me Naming my feelings, not running away from them, naming them. Like, I am hurt. Why am I hurt? I am sad. Why am I sad? I am frustrated. Why? I'm lonely. Why? And okay, even though I didn't do everything, the things that I did, why did I do them? How can I change that? Why? Like, what, what's the underlying belief and value that made me do those things without blaming the other person? Like, focus on yourself. Because a lot of us, I think, leave a bad relationship and just do the blame game. But honestly, we're all imperfect human beings. We all have some responsibility in every situation that we're in. Right. And I think a lot of the blaming comes from the stigma that comes from being separated or divorced. A lot of people would not do that if there wasn't a bad, if it was a, it was something that was celebrated that you came out stronger it would be one of those things, yeah well you know this happened but guess what i did from and guess what i learned and guess where i came uh, you know what i you know what i mean what all of these important aspects of getting out and getting out okay haven't been highlighted yet because there's such a little tag that comes with being a divorcee or somebody who's separated. Now, I have this amazing quote that I saw if you're feeling any twinge of divorce shame consider that you're divorced exactly because you do value marriage. You do believe in commitment. You do believe in love throughout sickness and health. You do believe in family. And you're divorced because your partner did not share those values and you refused to live in a sham marriage. This is by Tracy Scholm. Scholm, I think you say her name or Scholm. I hope so. But these are things that I wanted people to take away from what you've said, because a lot of it really comes from just knowing and loving yourself enough to know what you want, what's good enough for you, what's not good enough for you. I, I love that you said that there are certain things that were completely non-negotiable, that are non-negotiable right now for your future relationship and what have you. And I know that a lot of people need to hear that. And um, what would you say to a young woman who is going through a separation or a young man who's going through a separation or divorce right now. I know Faith, you sound wise beyond your years, but you're actually a little baby girl. Uh -huh. Did you expose how old you are first of all for the listeners? No, the thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am under 30. I should leave it as that. Believe that. You are inspiring, sister. <laughs> but um, what would you say to another young woman, a young man who feels as if they're in a space where they're being shamed or feel the shame or the slight pinch from going through a separation, be it in a, in a relationship that was supposed to end a, you know, a different way or a marriage or 
a partnership of any kind? So shame, I think for me, comes from non-acceptance. Because mm. um, if you're, you've truly accepted your situation, whether, because for me right now, whether someone comes and tells me anything about what I've gone through, honestly, I could care less. And not everyone has that, and I get that. But it's because I have accepted my situation. I didn't do it straight away. So that's also very important for that person who's going through that situation. Where are you at? If it's been a month, your feelings are valid and they're actually very normal. If you didn't feel the way you felt, there will be a problem. But if it's five years down the line and you haven't moved on and you still feel very shameful, those are signs that you probably haven't accepted your situation. And I think acceptance comes from community. So the people who are around you, if you have the right people around you, um, you know, cheering you on and encouraging you those low days and those high days, you know, running with you, I think that makes a huge difference and lifts off that veil of shame where you don't have to hide your real emotions. So again, like who are you surrounding yourself with? Um, are they people that need to be around you right now? Is there an exit? Because some people don't have that exit and I'm aware of that. Um, if there isn't an exit, can you create one where you are? And by that, I mean, you know, a lot of people are guided by different things. But if, if you have like, let's say, something you believe in, such as a religion, is that something that you can rely on in this very moment? Because maybe physically you cannot get yourself out of it, but I'm sure spiritually there will be some weight lifted off, which for me was a really big um, aspect to my healing journey um, is truly and fully um, surrendering to God, which is, you know, I'm a Christian and that's what I believe in. And that made a huge difference. Um, and another thing is taking care of your mental health. I think especially in culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, mental health is something that's kind of shoved under the rug and you're kind of told, get on with it. Um, however, you can't get on with it. Like it's going to always be the elephant in the room and you can't do it by yourself. You need to seek professional help. And I know, I don't know about, you know, the US and other areas of the world. In Australia, there is um, free access to counseling or psychologists, which is good. I think if, you know, you're, if you're under Medicare, you get 12 sessions in a year, which is great. Depending on where you work, for me as a social worker, I get that extra mental health service, which is free of charge, and my work pays for that. So just look for free things. It doesn't have to be expensive. And obviously, if you can afford it, I think it's the best investment you make in your life. Because going back to that whole traumatized child, a, tra a traumatized adult is a traumatized child with longer limbs. I was that person. And it's until I went through separation and started seeking counseling. And then I'm like, wow, so this is why I react like this. Oh, wow. So this is why when someone does this to me, I feel like this. Um, it's very important. It kind of, it's like a mirror in your face telling you about yourself because you can't see those things yourself. So counseling definitely did that for me. So I would highly recommend for everyone to get, to get onto counseling. I think that it's a beautiful thing that you've touched on that. Unfortunately, we still have miles and miles to go when it comes to the mental health discussion. 
in our in our in our culture in our community in our in our different in our various societies but, but i hope that we can um shine a light a little bit on that brick by brick honestly <laughs> it's hard to explain to somebody the importance of counseling until they've really seen it work for them or seen the uh, positive effects it can have just to speak to somebody who has that ability to tap into the emotions that you personally don't want to identify or can't identify by yourself. Um, and this is something that we still have to deal with. And in, 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 our, in our part of the world, in most parts of Africa, it's still a very, um, it's a luxury. Yeah, Counseling absolutely. is a luxury. So for me, um, in my situation, I remember in my marriage, because, you know, my ex was also from a culturally, linguistically diverse background, whenever I would put counseling on the table before we got to the stage of separation, it was like, no, um, I am not comfortable to, you know, go and air out my dirty laundry to someone. And it's like, you're paying them. This is actually what they do. So it's just that mentality that needs to shift and rewire that counseling is actually not necessarily when you just have issues. Um, someone told me you should actually go for counseling even when you don't have issues and you just still discover something about yourself. So it's something that you should be doing throughout your life. And as parents, you should be signing up your children as they enter puberty because they're different because it helps them unpack themselves and get to know themselves. But through a professional who's actually studied this and understands how different areas and stages of your life work and what that means and how that impacts your emotions and your social behavior and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a taboo, which is really unfortunate. And even within Western countries, because with my clients, they're still very reluctant to go for counseling because counseling has this whole, you only go for counseling if you have issues or if you're you know, at the end of the road or no one can fix you. And, but that's not the case. Counseling is there for even those who don't have issues and just need someone to talk to. I love the word unpacking when it comes to self-love and self-care. I really do. I think it's an important thing that we should take away from this conversation. Faith, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for your education. Thank you so much for your ability to articulate these things so well. I mean, I've, picked up so many gems in this little time that we shared together and i hope that we can continue to spread the spirit of esther across the globe how can we um keep up with you and the spirit of esther yeah so you can find us online on twitter and that's so talks so s-o-e talks and you can also find us on our website which is www.spiritofesther.org God bless you, Faith. This has been a pleasure. I truly think that there's so many things that we can leave this space knowing, but one thing that's for sure is that you got to love yourself enough to get out of that space. And self-love is basically the key. So thank you for that. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think you're going to be back soon, actually. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Thanks. And that closes our episode on the importance of helping yourself. Faith Kangaro is the CEO and the brain behind the Spirit of Esther. Please follow them around. Globally, they'll be spreading and sprinkling the Spirit of Esther, hopefully to your household, your community, your society. And of course, you can learn a few gems by yourself. So thank you guys for listening in. Love yourself. And I'll see you 
on our next episode. Did you love it? Please subscribe and write a review or tell your friend about the show. Find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Vanessa Day. Thank you to my producer, Amanda Rosenberg, and the team at Jam Street Media. We're having such an amazing time and look forward to coming back next week. From Jam Street Media.